Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We're deep into a second wave of coronavirus, and if you've lost track of what lies ahead and how we got here, you're not the only one. I'm Gabe Friedman, host of Down to Business, and this week I spoke to Craig Alexander, chief economist at Deloitte Canada. Alexander said the severity of the second wave has been worse than many had hoped, and it's pushed the unemployment level back up to the highest it's been in decades. The impact on small businesses and people in the food and accommodation sector in particular cannot be glossed over, he said. But when the first lockdown ended, economic demand came back with a vengeance, and he's expecting this to happen again, that it'll be impossible to get a reservation in a restaurant come fall, that we'll all be waiting to go to the movies, and the economy will come roaring back like a lion. As always, the interview was edited for brevity and clarity. Craig Alexander, thank you so much for joining me on Down to Business this week. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. Myself, I think a lot of others were hoping that 2021 would be a respite from all the bad news that we had in 2020. And so far, it hasn't really lived up to many people's expectations in this regard. Can you walk me through the latest job data and what it says about the state of the economy? Sure. So the headlines from the January job numbers was terrible. We had the loss of 213,000 jobs in the first month of 2021. This isn't surprising given the government restrictions that were put in place in Quebec and Ontario to address the, the second wave of infection. So if you think about what happened from an economic narrative point of view, in, in 2020, we had the worst economic recession in modern history. And it was concentrated during the contraction in March and April when we had the government lockdowns from coast to coast. And then post that lockdown, as government restraints were eased, we had an enormous rebound in economic activity that was maintained up until the end of the end of the year. But then, of course, the second wave hit. And what we're seeing in the job numbers is the impact with all of the jobs being lost in Ontario, Quebec. But the numbers weren't as bad as the headline makes out because it was concentrated in certain industries, the ones that are most affected by the pandemic. It was part-time jobs were the ones that, that were lost. So the headline is terrible. The details aren't quite as terrible as the headline. And it's very much concentrated regionally in Ontario and Quebec, which is because of the government restrictions. Right. We are in the middle of a second wave, and it's not as bad as the first wave where we shed 3 million jobs. We're still down about 850,000 or so jobs since the pandemic started. The thing I would stress, though, is we do know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Vaccines have been developed. So we're working through the economic consequences of the second wave. The economic numbers that you're going to see for the next couple of months are going to be very negative, very dismal because of the impact of that second wave. I had a question for you. There's been criticism of the fact that there's not enough testing, that not everyone has paid sick days. So there are some people who are probably feeling symptomatic who are going into work because they basically have to, whether small businesses could have been helped more. What's your thought about whether or not those measures could have had a meaningful impact on the jobs numbers we're seeing now? 
I, I, I think it was inevitable that we were going to have a second wave of infection. Once the economy was reopened last year, when, when the kids went back to school, when the colder weather arrived and people were going to socialize more in closer proximity to one another, I think it was inevitable we were going to have a second wave. I think what, what is most disappointing is just how strong the second wave proved to be. And I, I do think that there are some lessons from other countries where they avoided a second wave or at least it was minimized. One example of that is countries that put in place very effective testing and tracing capabilities were better able to manage the health risks and, and reduce the impact of any second wave. In hindsight, we could say that Canada probably could have handled the second wave better if, uh, if we had dealt with the health risks a bit better once the, the post-lockdown period arrived. So it's, it's, it's regrettable, but, but in fact, the job numbers are reflecting the fact that, that the second wave got to a point where it started to worry governments it was going to overwhelm the health system. And, and, that, and that's the core issue around the lockdowns, right? Like the lockdowns are not designed to stomp out the virus and end the pandemic. The lockdowns are designed to reduce the infection rate to a point where it doesn't jeopardize the health system and the health system can manage the number of cases. The real issue from a, from a forecasting point of view is like, when, when do you think the vaccination is going to be completed? And it's going a lot slower than people would hope. Personally, I'm betting that it's going to be the end of the summer or into the fall before we get the vaccination completed. But 2021 is going to be a year of transition from the pandemic to the, the post-pandemic world. But we, we have to live through this, the impact of the second wave and its economic consequences. Have you had to change any of your forecasts or estimates for the timeline for a recovery? Well, I, I haven't because I kept my expectations pretty conservative. If you actually go back to when Prime Minister Trudeau first brought up the vaccination process, he was asked about how long it could take. And one of the comments he made was, well, it might take till September. And then I think what happened was, as you started to see vaccination occurring in December, people got really excited that, hey, this could be done really, like a lot faster than we previously thought. We might can rebound earlier. But in my mind, this is this was going to be such a difficult logistical exercise that I was very strongly of the opinion that it was going to take a long time. That's refreshing to hear in a way, because I feel like the headlines are all about how botched this whole thing has been and why haven't people used the past sort of like 10 months to put someone to work on planning how to roll out the vaccine better. But it is complicated, right? You know, vaccinating the planet. Is, is an enormous undertaking. You know, every, every country wants their people vaccinated as soon as possible, but there's a limited amount of the vaccine available. So everybody's vying for, for the vaccine. You know, there's been some criticism that we didn't build up the capacity to make vaccine in Canada so that, you know, when we had one, we could make it domestically. So there, there is some you know, in hindsight, this is maybe what we should have done in, turn, in the, the, the strategy for dealing with the vaccination. But what I would emphasize is, yes, the, the, you know, the job numbers for January are terrible. Yes, unemployment jumped again back up to 9.4%, to which is you know, higher than it was in the 2008-2009 financial crisis and the recession we had then. But, but keep in mind, 
when we eased the government restrictions, we had an enormous increase in, in economic activity. Like we had a huge rebound. And what we need to do is just get to the point where the second wave has been constrained to a point where now we can relax those restrictions. The economy will take off again. And then as the vaccination takes place and the health risks diminish, you're going to see a, a big increase again of activity. Like I firmly believe that when we get towards the end of this year, I'm not going to be able to get a reservation at a restaurant because like everybody's going to be wanting to connect again. They're going to want to see people they haven't seen. You know, there's a lot of pent up demand that's been created. There's also a, an enormous amount of savings. You typically Canadian households in aggregate save 35 to 45 billion dollars a year. In 2020, it looks like Canadians saved in the order of $200 billion. And they didn't become big savers. It was they couldn't eat out at restaurants. They couldn't go to movie theaters. They couldn't go on vacations. And so what we're going to see is there's a lot of pent-up demand and a lot of savings that can be used for new spending. But we got to get to a point where the health risks have, have diminished. That seems like as good a point as any to segue into a question about these job losses and what happened here. Because as I understand it, they were mostly concentrated in Ontario and Quebec. And then you drill into that data, women in the sort of core working age, so that's like 25 to 54, lost like twice as many jobs as men. It was visible minorities, uh, young people. It's the same sort of groups getting hammered again. Right. So, yeah. You know, so if we shift from industry to individuals, right, one of the defining characteristics of the, the labor market impact of this crisis is that it has been incredibly unequal and it's been concentrated in the most vulnerable population uh, that we have because those individuals tend to work in the industries that have been the hardest hit in retail, food, accommodation, you know, you tend to have more visible minorities working in those jobs, immigrants working in those jobs, more women working in those jobs. And then the other complication with for women, and, and I think this is a big part of the January number, when the kids were told, don't come back to school after, after the Christmas holidays, women disproportionately bear the burden inappropriately in families, in supporting children. And so a lot of women literally had to leave the labor market and, and they, they lost their jobs because their jobs were in the industry's hardest hit. But there was also an element of women leaving the labor market because I got to look after my kids. Yeah, which just goes to the issue of, you know, where the government is investing a lot of money to keep the economy running. It does make you wonder if this is going to give rise to political conditions that allow for things like universal childcare or something that's going to make it easier for not just parents, but the groups that are most affected uh, find work or after this or anything like that? Well, I think one of the things we could say is the pandemic has shined a light on some of the most vulnerable and weak areas of the economy and our, our public policies. You know, first so for years before the pandemic, I argued that the employment insurance system that we had in Canada was out of date and didn't adequately cover workers because an awful lot of job creation was in self-employed positions, in gig jobs. And the government initially thought, okay, we're gonna put these all these unemployed workers on EI. And then they realized, wait, we're a lot of workers are gonna fall through the cracks. We have to launch the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit. 
a, a much bigger program that will cover all the workers affected, right? So it, it showed us that the employment, ins employment insurance system needed reform. We needed a better income security framework. Similarly, I've been arguing for years that Canada underinvests in early, early childhood education and in childcare. If you look at Canadian enrollment rates in early childhood education, our enrollment rates relative to other, like other peer countries, we are dramatically below the average when it comes to investment in this space. But whenever you talk to governments about large-scale investment in childcare, they were reticent to make the investments because it was so expensive. Creating a national affordable childcare system is incredibly expensive. But just to pause a second, it's expensive when you look at the cost of it, but we can't really predict what exactly the benefits will be if it gets... Well, you can predict what the benefits are. It's just it, it was difficult for governments that had constrained budgets to find the money to make the large-scale investment, even though it'll pay you back. So I've done a lot of work in this space. If every dollar you invest in early childhood education, you get back, and these are academic studies that have been done, you get back between a dollar and a half and six dollars. So six dollars on a dollar. Yeah. So the minimum, like let's take the bottom, right? You get a 50% return on your investment. Well, gee, I would love to know like what other investments can you make where you get a 50% return? And we know this from the experience in Quebec, where Quebec introduced a, a, a subsidized childcare program. And, and the reason why it pays for itself is because of the impact on labor participation by women. So, you know, so the modeling I've done, if you invested in a, an affordable, high quality national childcare program, you could likely bring about 90,000 women into the labor market. And so when we had a 30 year low unemployment rate pre pandemic, I was saying, you know, we need to we need to get more women in the labor market. And one of the ways to do this is expanding childcare. So that what the pandemic did was when the economy was shut down and the schools were shut down and all of a sudden the kids had to be at home. You know, the pandemic shone a light on the fact that childcare is a critical economic issue. If you if you don't have childcare, women can't work. One of my one of the things I hope is that what we will get investments, like large scale investments in early childhood education and, and childcare. And and that would be a positive outcome from the pandemic. And I think a lot of people are wondering whether or not, given the level of debt that the government is taking on, it will be Again, a situation where the government looks at it and everyone agrees it could provide these incredible returns, but budget constraints prevent it from happening. But, but again, the, the biggest impact of expanding child care is the increase in female labor participation, and that happens very quickly. Okay. So well, that sounds like a very positive case for it then. And since we just have a couple minutes left, I was wondering if there's there's any other positive news that you can take us through so that we can end on a more upbeat note about the outlook or anything else about the economy? Well, so there's many tragic outcomes from this environment, right? The, the health crisis has been tragic. The impact on, on families has been enormous. I think we're going to deal with legacies related to mental health. You know, there's been mental, mental health impacts from the pandemic that aren't immediately apparent. Like, so, you know, you don't want to diminish the fact that the pandemic has been, you know, a tragic event and it's the biggest negative economic shock we've had in modern history, like since the Great Depression. But there are positives that come out of it, right? So there are, there are, there is, and the positives are related to the fact that it's leading governments and companies to do things 
differently and respond to the crisis, right? So if you want to talk some of the positives from this, right? I would, I would argue one of the things we have seen is that the pandemic accelerated the shift towards digital technology. But we've had a dramatic shift to like businesses suddenly figuring out how to have a large portion of their workforce be remote. That actually creates opportunities. Like, so for example, unemployment in Atlantic Canada is, is typically very high relative to the rest of the country. But businesses are starting to learn that like it doesn't, you know, you don't have to have the workers in the jurisdiction where you're currently operating. A lot of workers can work remotely, but you could you could actually source a lot of labor in in Atlantic Canada and have the workers work, work, work remotely and digitally there. One of my clients is a large grocery store chain. Right. It, they knew there was going to be a demand for higher online grocery. So they, they had a team that was supposed to deliver that over the next five years. They achieved that five-year goal in two weeks. You know, the crisis was a catalyst to say, no, we have to do it and we have to do it right now. So you've had a massive acceleration in adoption of, of digital and use of digital. Similarly in government, we're having more delivery of online healthcare. Are we going to go back to pre-COVID? No, we're not, right? So we've had a lot of disruption and it's created a lot of crisis but it's also creating innovation and change, you know, and, and something I, I think we need to be careful about is we know a vaccine's coming. And so there, I think there's an inclination by some policymakers and by some businesses to say, oh, vaccine's coming. Oh, thank God. Now I can stop making the hard decisions. Right. And you have to resist that urge because there's there's going to be other issues that come down the line that we're going to have to deal with. So, you know, keep the momentum going. And I think that from a government point of view, that there, there's an opportunity to use the crisis to actually put in place policies that create things like a better income security network, increased in, in investments in childcare, but also changing the way government works, right? Like, you know, creating, you know, more, more digital government could actually create a lot of efficiencies um, and it could create opportunities. And similarly, like we're going to lose a lot of businesses here. Like I'm look, the economic scars are not, not fully apparent, right? Insolvency and bankruptcy numbers are very low, but that's because of all the government support programs. When those programs disappear, I think you're going to find out we had a lot of zombie businesses. I think there's going to be a lot of business failures coming up, but what's going to come after that, right? Is going to be, because there's still a lot of demand, what's going to happen is you're going to have the launch of a lot of new businesses, you know, we're going to lose a lot of restaurants and that is that is tragic and terrible. I don't want to diminish the, the, the suffering of the individuals that own those restaurants or worked in those restaurants. But at the same time, you know, the demand for eating out, I don't think has dropped when the health risk disappears. And so what's going to happen, right? The market will respond and you're going to have a lot of new businesses being launched. We'll be more set up for a digital, a digital future. Well, I certainly hope that you're right. I mean, that's definitely putting a positive spin on it. And it sounds like most likely it's going to be one step forward, one step back, but things are going to be fast, probably. Yeah, my I think my main message is in the near term, the headlines are going to be pretty ugly, just like the the, the, the headline that Canada lost more than 200,000 jobs in January. But understand that that's the fallout of the second wave and the second, and we're still fighting it, you know, and governments are still, you know, doing everything possible to reduce infection rates. But there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Vaccination is coming. Health risks will eventually diminish. And when, and, and when they diminish, we're going to move into the, the post-COVID world. 
And there's going to be a lot of legacies from this crisis. And there's going to be some deep economic scars that's going to take years to overcome. But there's also opportunities and, and innovation that's been taking place. Craig, thanks so much for coming on the show to share your insights on all these trends that are happening. Thanks for having me. That was Craig Alexander, Chief Economist at Deloitte Canada. That's our episode of Down to Business this week. Thanks for listening to this episode. Music and production by Bryce Hall. Editing by Yadula Hussein. And web support by Pamela Heaven. You can always share an episode if you enjoyed it and rate us on your podcast app. We appreciate it. I'm Gabe Friedman. And until next week, you can find your business news at financialpost.com.